Good morning, Northwestern. I'm so grateful to be here with you today. Um, I want to start today by reading a couple of excerpts from a book that someone gave me one time called Prayer Requested, Prayers I Found on the Internet. So I don't know what format these were posted in, um, but evidently it's a collection of prayers that's, that people uh, felt the need to put out into the world. And um, here's a couple that I found interesting. Number one, please pray that we will get buyers for our parrots as soon as possible. So they're just done. They're done with birds. Um, please pray for my financial situation to improve. I need a car and insurance, also to see my kids, and I need a set of Ulian bagpipes. Just equal, just equal uh, needs. Please pray that God fixes my computer. I went on a Christian prayer site and a virus overtook my computer. <laughs> my computer is getting worse and worse and might be useless by tomorrow. They're using that computer to post this prayer request online anyway. Um, this is a good one. I asked several girls out for Valentine's Day and they said no. I pray that God would work it out so that I can go out with a girl even just as a friend. It doesn't have to be a date. I know that was no one in here. And last but not least, please hear my request to sell my business ASAP. And above all, please do not let our problem clients sue us. Please let them never contact us again. These are interesting, right? So maybe you've never prayed for uh, bagpipes or about a computer virus. I don't know, maybe you, maybe you have. Um, and maybe you've never posted this level of prayer request online. Um, but I bet if we're honest with each other that we've prayed something similar. And while I firmly believe that God cares about parrots and about Valentine's Day, um, the posture of prayer, the posture in which we come to him is really, really important. And that's what we're going to be spending some time talking about today. So we're continuing today in our chapel series, our chapel theme for the year, Thy Kingdom Come. Today we're arriving, we've been working our way through the book of Matthew. We've been working our, the last several weeks, the last several times that we've been together, we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. So that's Jesus' very expansive, like, three-chapter message that we've been summarizing as life in the kingdom, what it looks like to live under the rule and reign of God. And so right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, we have these series of contrasts with non-kingdom living and thinking and kingdom living and thinking. So don't be like this. Instead, be like this. And that, leave, that brings us to our text for today. It's going to be up on the screen. This is Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Jesus says this, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray... Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private, and then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. 
And when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So Jesus starts with what not to do in prayer. Don't be like the hypocrites who are drawing attention to themselves or the Gentiles, the the pagans, who are using a lot of words to try and convince God to act on their behalf. But instead, commune with the Father. And I love the reminder in that last verse. I love the reminder that our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need even before we ask. We don't need to convince God to act in keeping with his nature as a good father. We don't need to manipulate him into acting in keeping with his character, with who he is. And so that sets us up really, really well for what we're going to spend the bulk of our time with. This is the crown jewel of the Sermon on the Mount. This is arguably some of the most famous words in Scripture. I would place it right up there with Psalm 23 and John 3.16 is the Lord's Prayer. And it goes like this. So Jesus says, instead of doing that, instead pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, there's so much packed into this one passage. We could spend an entire series just on this prayer all by itself. For our purposes today, we're going to divide it into two sections. So I'll be exploring those first two movements, and then Darren's going to unpack the rest next week when we get back from uh, Thanksgiving break. So the first two movements of the prayer, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I want to just point out, I want to walk through the prayer and point out uh, a couple of things that jump out to me. First of all, look at the direction of these first two uh, movements of the prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. May your name be kept holy. It's all directed toward God. So, and then we start with our Father. That word Father, that's personal. That's relational. That's proximate. Now, in our modern day and age, I think we may have, at times, an overly familiar view of God. We hear that and we're like, well, yeah, of course. Of course, it's Heavenly Father. We start all of our prayers that way. But in context, I think approaching the Almighty in this way, Jesus giving this model of approaching the Almighty in this way might have been uncomfortable, might have raised some eyebrows, might have made people a little bit itchy because it's like, well, that's overly familiar. There's there's rules, there's protocols for how to approach God without dying. So I don't know if this is really, can we do that? Is that allowed? But that's what Jesus came to do. He came to restore that relational connection with God that was lost all the way back at the beginning in the garden when Adam and Eve 
sin and fractured that relationship with him. So our father. Second, in heaven. So in the place outside of time and space where his glory dwells and all is as it should be. That's what shalom means. That word for peace means everything in its rightful place. And that's how it is um, where, where God rules and reigns. That brings us to uh, your name. May your name. Um, the significance of that, that's not just the title that we call God. That's not just how we know, um, instead of saying, hey, you, we say the name of God. There's a weight to it, especially in the ancient world. Your name was your identity. It was your reputation. It was your authority. It's a form of power. So God's name, in Philippians 2, it says, um, when it talks about Jesus and his ultimate sacrifice, and says, then God um, uh, raised him up and gave him the name that is above every name. And then what's the result? That every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, right? That's the kind of authority. That's the kind of respect that we're talking about in his name. And then we're praying that his name be kept holy. Now, this is something that they, in the ancient times they would have been very comfortable and familiar with. Like, yes, yes, now, now you're in familiar territory. But that might not be as familiar or as easy for us. So to be holy means to be se separate, to be set apart, not necessarily um, better than, but revered, reverenced, respected, giving recognition that it's due. And this is so counter to our fallen incl human inclination to take God's name in vain, to use it as a curse. That's how we treat, in, in the culture, that's how God's name is treated. This is counter to that. May your name be kept holy, hallowed, set apart, respected. And then we come to uh, your kingdom and your will. So this is what we've been talking about from the beginning of this series. This is the breaking through of God's rule and his reign into the chaos and brokenness of our world for the purpose of restoration, to restore and reorder his original intent. It's his best being made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So how would we summarize this? The way I would summarize this is when we pray, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy, it's about his sovereignty. It's placing him in his rightful place on the throne of his kingdom. And we just sang about that. I love actually how the songs that Ava and Kendra uh, picked out today correspond. So we sang, reign above it all, right? That's about his sovereignty. It's recognizing his sovereignty. And then when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's about our surrender. And we sang about that too, and lead me to the cross. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. I surrender myself 
in recognition of your sovereignty and your kingdom. All right. So why does this matter? Why is this important? Here's why. And I think this is one of the reasons why um, this theme was so resonant for us as we were um, seeking the Lord for what, to, for what to talk about this year in chapel. The reason that this matters, the reason that this reminder is important is that we are really, really good at building our own kingdoms. Even within, even as believers, even within the church, we're really, really good at building our own kingdom. So here's a silly uh, practical example of how I build my kingdom in my home. All right? So in my home, I am the king. My home is my kingdom. And especially to the teenage subjects that live in my kingdom, I have issued a, a very long set of decrees. I have a lot of rules and expectations that I've laid down. So one of them is I have decreed to the teenage subjects that live in my kingdom, I have decreed that after you make your nightly mango smoothie in the blender, that you wash out the blender after you make the smoothie. I don't think that this is too much to ask. It's really easy. You fill it up with water, you place it back on the blender base, you hit go, and it washes itself. It's not that hard. I've made my decrees on this and all of the other litany of decrees and rules abundantly clear. I remind about this on a regular basis. And yet, the subjects of my kingdom seem dead set on defying my kingly authority on this matter because they leave the blender to rot in the sink and get crusty overnight. And then I get up, I'm always the first one up, and I get up and then I have to wash it out in the morning before I can make my royal protein shake. And this drives me bonkers, if you couldn't tell. Why might that be? Is it really that big of a deal? No, it's not. It's, brought, it's not really that big of a deal. But the reason it drives me bonkers is because as much as I want to say that, oh, you know what, this is about uh, me as a parent teaching responsibility and consideration for others, it's really just about me having my will and my way. It's about my kingdom being realized because that's what I need to feel secure and to be okay. So that's a silly example, but I think that we do that with a lot of things. And I think that we do it with a lot, on a lot more of a serious level. So what happens if I come to God with that mindset? If I come to God with that mindset, we're going to have a problem. Because then I end up praying selfish prayers that are based on the gratification of my own desires, that are based on my need for rule and reign and sovereignty. And maybe, like some of the prayer requests that I read earlier from the internet, if I start with my needs and my wants, 
then that essentially reduces God to either a cosmic version of Amazon Prime or uh, a genie that's just there to grant me wishes. It takes the relational aspect of it completely out of the picture. So the reason that we need to start by acknowledging and remembering God's sovereignty and then our need for surrender, it's not because God needs his ego stroked. God knows who he is. He's secure in his identity. So it's not for him, it's for us. It's because that we need to remember that we are not on the throne. Because otherwise those requests and those demands, those become a way for us to manipulate God into subsidizing and supporting our personal building efforts rather than us being equipped and empowered to partner with him and his. And that's why we're here. That's what we're supposed to be up to. Let me ask you, have you ever been upset with God when he didn't answer a prayer, something that you asked him for? I certainly have. I certainly have. And I think when we have that reaction, it can reveal that our prayer posture is out of alignment. So let me lean into that metaphor for a second. If you've ever had an issue, a back issue, a spinal issue, if you ever slept wrong, um, maybe on a height of bed with that bar like right in the middle, uh, you know, that's really good. That's really good for the low lumbar, you know? You wake up like this, um, out of alignment, right? So I wake up like that sometimes. And when I just try to jump into the day and just try to go about my business and ignore that, I'm like, no, I just, I've got stuff to do. I need to work out. I need to get ready. I need to get on the road. It actually causes more inflammation, more discomfort, because I'm trying to operate as if everything is in alignment when it's not. But if I take the time to either stretch out, maybe do some planks or some bird dogs and get things realignment, or if it's really bad to go to the chiropractor and have someone else help me get straightened out, then everything is back where it should be. And I'm in the proper posture for the rest of my day. And I think that's why Jesus starts this prayer with sovereignty and surrender so that we are realigned in our prayer posture with God. It's like a, it's like a spiritual chiropractic adjustment for your soul. Puts us back into proper alignment. So, I've got two encouragements for us today. This is what I want to challenge you guys with. Number one, identify your kingdoms. Identify your kingdoms. What's it look like for you? What does building your own kingdom look like in your life and your reality? Where are you tempted to grasp for sovereignty 
and control. And I have a feeling it's probably more than a pet peeve about cleaning up uh, messes. It's probably more than, um, you know, your roommate uh, leaving the lights on when you're trying to go to sleep. I'm sure there's all kinds of mini kingdoms that you're trying to build, but at a deeper level, let me tell you about mine, all right? At a deeper level, my kingdoms that I'm trying to build are, are ones of perfectionism. They are kingdoms of people-pleasing and performance. See what I did there? I'll start with P. Um, that just kind of happened. But those are the deeper, more subtle kingdoms that we're tempted to build. So if you're trying to think, like, well, what would that be for me? We talked a little bit about this last time. If you need a hint, if you need a clue at what your kingdom might be, ask yourself, where do you get easily angered or offended? What do you get defensive about? What are you fearful of? What makes you anxious? Those are all a sign that we're looking to something else other than Jesus for our comfort and our security and our sense of well-being. So it's usually a good litmus test for our need for control. So that's the first thing. Identify, identify your kingdom. The second one is realign your posture. So as you've identified those things, confess and surrender that to God. And I want to say this. Um, I, don't know if, uh, I don't know who was at the uh, Somo worship night uh, a couple weeks ago in the stud um, that uh, Mike and his team put together. And he talk, Mike talked about this. Mike talked about um, submission and how that's, that is, it's really hard. That's not something that we like to hear. It's not something that we like to talk about because it feels like, it feels like losing it feels like giving up or giving in. And we want to be about winning. We want to be about victory. But here's the thing. We're not designed for that. So the, our surrender, our relinquishing of control is a release of a weight and a burden that we were never meant to carry. There's freedom. There's freedom in surrendering. There's freedom in laying down our own kingdoms. This is a gift of grace to us. And we do that not just out of obligation, not just begrudgingly. We do that with joy and we do that out of trust in relationship because we talked about, we set up this whole thing by the fact that we have a good father who already knows what we need before we even ask him. And we can trust in that. We can rest in that. So confess, surrender that to God and allow him to realign your posture. And actually, there's, kind of, there's two components to this prayer of surrender. There, it needs to start internally. It needs to start personally. We need to start with the, the prayer of, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done in me 
and in my life. But once we've done that, once we've had a chance to do that, we can pray that externally as a blessing over the world around us. And that is really the heart of our theme for the year. Thy kingdom come in us and in the world. Because that's what we need. And so that's how I'd like to close today. I'd like us to pray this corporately, to proclaim God's will and his way over this world. And so what I'd like to do is I'm going to use a call and response format. And this is kind of in the style of one, uh, Psalm 136, where there's a series of statements, and then there's kind of an echo of his love endures forever, or his steadfast love endures forever. So instead of that, I'm going to list places and spaces that we want to invite God's presence into, and then I'd like all of you to respond, uh, all of us to respond together, your kingdom come, your will be done. Can we just try that once? Your kingdom come, your will be done. That was okay, but we'll get a lot of practice. Why don't we go ahead and stand? Let's make this our closing prayer today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, for the health of our souls, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. For our families and our friendships and our relationships, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. On our campus, in the classroom, in the dorms, in our extracurricular activities, in our community events, Father, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. For the mission, vision, and values of the University of Northwestern, and for the future of this institution, Father, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. For our vocational callings and professional work, both now and in the future, Father, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. For our communities and our neighborhoods, towns, cities, our state, and our country, Father, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. For the leadership of our political, our socioeconomic, and our civic spheres, Father, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. For the least of these, for those overlooked, for the most vulnerable on the margins of society, Father, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. For the wars, conflicts, and ongoing strife and violence in the world, Father, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Over the pain and the hurt and the trauma of sin and the addiction and brokenness that accompanies it, Father, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Over the chaos and disorder and catastrophe that's a result of our attempt at self-sovereignty, Father, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Father, in your church, the body of Christ, the family of God, as we seek to follow and become more like Jesus, Father, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
Amen. Have a blessed day.